Like I remember I had to get this medical card and I could not get the medical card unless I had this other document. I can't remember what it was, but I couldn't get the document unless I had the card. You're listening to The Enterprising Expat, stories of women who packed up their lives and moved abroad for love, a job, or a fresh start. What does it take to build a new life and business in a new country? What does it take to go from finding your feet to thriving? Find out how each woman did it. Be inspired, whether you're an expat or digital nomad, to bloom where you're planted. Hi. Just a quick note, this episode was recorded on Skype and... Things got a little bit bumpy and scratchy, but I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. So I like to take people right back to the beginning and then we can hear the whole progression. So tell me about your first expat experience. I had the option of going to Missouri in the US to go to the journalism school at Missouri University. So that was the first time I went abroad and I knew that this opportunity was going to come up for me like I'd been planning out for years that when I went to study in Dublin I was going to then go to the US if I could get the place there and they took on one student per year so I worked really hard to make sure I got that placement and I I don't really know what I expected (laughs) when I was going to go over there I just knew it was going to be really cool and to be on an American campus and it would really help me with my career as a journalist if I got to go to the school. So that was the first experience. But I think it was quite an easy one in the point that it was English speaking. Uh, it was a university. So you instantly meet people that are interested in being your friend. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a much easier way of living. But it had a massive impact on me as a person because I went there and made all these cool friends that spoke all these languages and lived in all these different countries. And I started to realize that, hey, maybe I could start learning new languages and maybe I could go live in some funky countries. Like, why not? Oh, perfect. Well, yeah, that's that's you kind of answered my second question as well, because I was going to say, how different is it to be an international student and then not to, hmm, real expat is the wrong way to say it, but then to be an expat on your own and, and just have to do everything yourself. Like what were the differences between that when you tried it the first time? Oh my God. Okay. So they are so different. So after I finished university, I went to Milan in Italy and because I'd had this experience in the US, I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's easy enough and it's going to be fine and I'll learn the language really quickly and everything's going to be really simple. And then I, when I did move to my second country, which was Italy, it was like I got this massive slap in the face <laughs> of reality, <laughs> being like, no, girl, that's not how it goes. <laughs> that was too easy. So like when I got there, I realized it's so hard. I I really thought I was going to go and instantly make friends and instantly learn the language, which was so naive. Um, I I really thought it was going to be easy. But the reality of the situation is being an expat can be really, really hard, but it's really rewarding at the same time. It's just when you first go somewhere, there's so much you have to figure out, organize and paperwork oh, paperwork is a killer when you move to another country and making friends is hard. Everything's hard. So I think the difference is that when you study abroad, it gives you a nice little easygoing sample of living abroad with all like the sparkly nice things. 
Yeah. But when you go to live as an expat, that's when you have the reality of the two sides of it. You have still other fun things, but you then have the reality of also being a real adult and having to figure things out and work things out. That's interesting because I thought Ireland and, and, and Italy are both in the EU that the paperwork would be kind of simple. Was that not the case? No. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I mean, I could just... The great thing about being in the EU is you can just say, you know what, I feel like living in this country and you can just go move there and there's no visas and it's all hunky dory, um, which is fantastic. I mean, that's a huge privilege and I am extremely thankful for for that and being a part of the EU. Don't rub and it in. Me. We've just left. Yeah. <laughs> Remember where I'm from. Don't rub it in. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> but it is, it is a great gift to have. Um, but the thing is, when it came to things like medical stuff or even like setting up a phone or any of these things that you think should be simple enough it was killer like I remember I had to get this medical card and I could not get the medical card unless I had this other document I can't remember Mm. what it was but I couldn't get the document unless I had the card so it was a oxymoron I couldn't do one without the other so I ended up having to go to a meeting and lie and pretend I had the other document, but I just never showed it. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, here's your card. And then I was able to get the other thing I needed based on that. But everything was very complicated. And when you don't speak the language, it is so hard. It's Because you go and you think, okay, I can speak the language. And then you're like, okay, no, I really can't. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't say these complicated things I need to say. I'm just able to go do basic stuff. So yes, that's tough. That can be very tough in the beginning. I, I understand completely. The weird thing is when you're speaking about talking a language, I wasn't brought up speaking my mother tongue. So it is. that's another reason why it's hell for me to go home because... I people assume that I speak Sosotho fluently and I do not. And this is my mother tongue and I look like everybody, you know, I've got the surname and there I am. And I just want to be that person that says, does anybody speak English? Um, (laughs) It's so it's so uncomfortable. But yes, yes, yes to all the bureaucracy and the banging your head against the wall and and then people are looking at you like well it's so normal you can't have this card without having this document and yeah it it just makes sense how long did it take you to get that sorted out uh probably over a year and do keep in mind I only lived there for like two years so (laughs) kind of towards the end of my stay there I was like okay everything's sorted and organized now time to leave (laughs) so it it took a long time to get everything together and Life moved a lot slower there than I had for me in in Ireland, because even though Milan is like, you know, it's a really fashionable and modern city, life does move a little bit slower in different countries. And that's normal. I mean, not not every place can move at the same speed. But I found that things just took so much longer than they would have at home. And I found that really frustrating. And that was another, I guess, learning curve for me that you can't expect the place to adjust to you. You have to adjust to the place. I love it. I love it. Even though you're sitting there thinking, because I'm guilty of this too, that it would be more efficient if you did it this way. And we know (laughs) logically that makes sense, but it's not going to happen. So, all right, let's take that. So there's four stages of fitting in as an expat. Um, 
you know, there's the honeymoon phase and then there's culture shock and then there's the adjustment phase. Tell me about your honeymoon phase in Milan and then, okay, culture shock I get. Tell me about when you feel you reached the adjustment phase. Uh, See, you know what? I have to be honest. I don't think I ever got to the adjustment phase in Milan because it just wasn't the, the place for me. And it's not that there's anything wrong with Milan, right? So like, I know I definitely had my honeymoon phase. No, I think I actually had culture shock in the beginning because I thought it'd be a bit easier than it was going to be. Then I had my honeymoon phase and I never, I never had the, that time where I was like, okay, I'm adjusted. Everything's hunky dory. Everything's fine. I kind of just bypassed that. And I don't think I would have reached it naturally in in that country. And again, there's nothing wrong with the place. It just was not the place for me. Um, I knew that the, I needed to be somewhere else. And I was a little bit disappointed. I felt a bit like a failure in that way, because mm. when you move abroad, you feel like you have to do well at it. Otherwise, yes. people will be like, oh, it didn't work out for you. Um, and I really just had to say, I had to put my hands up and say, it didn't work out. That's fine, though. I'm going to now move to my favorite city. And I, when I moved then to Paris after being in Milan, I went through the adjustment and everything really quickly. And I settled in so fast, but I never had those feelings in, in Milan. It just, I don't know, I had so many things that just weren't working out for me. And after a while, I had to say, I, I want this so much and I'm trying so hard but it's just not working and that's okay. It's kind of like if you're in a relationship with someone and you really, really like them, but you're just so different and eventually you just have to say, sorry, look, we're maybe just not suited for each other, but that's okay. And I think that's also the bravest and hardest thing to do. It's to say that, you know what, it's actually this situation that is not working out. It's and and. It's not that I'm failing. It's just that it's not for me. I'm not going to give up on the whole role of being an expat because I know being at home would just kill me slowly. I would <laughs> very slowly, <laughs> <or> quickly, quickly. <laughs> yeah. So okay, I can see that that's a huge thing to learn about yourself when you were in Milan. So, how did the option of of going to France come about, or did you just like? you know, throw a dot at a map? Well, I'd had this kind of um, love affair with France for quite a while because I had this, we're no longer together. We broke up quite a few years ago, but I had this lovely French boyfriend for a while and he would often bring me back to France with him and we'd often go see different family members or go to weddings or go to holidays in France. And I just, I loved the country and I'd started trying to learn the language I really liked it there and I already knew this. I knew that this was somewhere that I really liked the people and I liked the culture and I used to fantasize about moving to Paris. And um, when I was this when I decided basically like okay Milan, I'm sorry, you and me are not working out. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try. I'm going to find a job and I'm going to go over. And then 2 weeks later, I found a job and that was it. <laughs> I was moving to Paris. And it all kind of came together. And I think sometimes in life when something's right, it just seems to come along easily. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to work too hard for it. It just kind of works out simply enough. I moved over to Paris like about, okay, so the day I said I'm going to move to Paris, about a month later, I'd moved to Paris. Like it happened very quickly. Wow. Yeah, (laughs) very, very fast. 
And uh, I was delighted. I was really delighted. But it was quite difficult because when I first came over, I did not have like an expat deal or anything like that. I was just like a, a normal situation where I go to work and get my salary and I had to move myself over. I didn't have a place to live and I didn't have a lot of money. So my savings were only going to last me a while. So I was living at different like people's like places that like friends that I had, I was staying on their couches and stuff, you know, while they went on holiday, I'd stay at their place and then I moved somewhere else. And once I tried to rent a place, I found a place immediately and everything was, it was fine. And really like, I I can't explain it, but when I moved to Paris, everything fell into place so well and so quickly that I just knew it was the right place for me because of that too. That's, that's perfect. This is like your I think everybody has their struggle story and that's very much yours. It's like you knew the dream, you knew the vision and you were prepared to, you know, tough it out for a little bit in order to make it a reality. No, it's that, exactly that. And, you know, my my parents were always confident in me being able to go off and do my own thing. And I didn't, like I told them I'm going to Paris, but I didn't necessarily say at the beginning, oh, I'm living on different people's couches for a while while I get myself out. I kept that bit of information to myself and then later I was like yeah I got my flat everything sorted now but there was never like if I was in a situation where I really needed help I would immediately go and say I need help but I've been very lucky and um, I've always been able to land on my feet and I've always had um I don't know if I can swear on this but I always had what I call my, my fuck you fund um, and <laughs> I've, I've always had that and I started to putting money into my fuck you fund when I was only six years old. And I had this idea that when I go to university, I'm going to have this fund of money so I can like, no matter what, like look after myself. So what I mean by that is if I ever got into a bad situation where something wasn't working out, I could walk away. So for example, if I was in a work situation that was going terribly wrong and the boss was screaming at me or whatever, yeah. I could say, fuck you. I know I'd be fine. Or if I was in a relationship and it was going badly, I could say, fuck you. Or if I was in like, I don't know, I got stranded somewhere that I could go and afford a hotel and a taxi and a meal or whatever it is. So I've always had that. And I've used it a few times in my life. And whenever I use it, I then like immediately replace it as soon as I can. But it's for situations like that where I just said, you know what, it's not working out. I'm going to use this fund to fix my situation. And I did that when I left Milan. I did it when I moved to Milan. I did, I did it like several times in my life. And thankfully, I've never had to use it for negative reasons. It's always been for positive reasons where I see an opportunity and I'm able to, you know, go for the opportunity because I have that fund. That's, I, I just love it. I'm like, I'm stealing this. I'm going <laughs> to tell everybody for this. You're going to see it on social media. I <laughs> Love it. I've Yeah, <laughs> but I so think cool. it's such good advice to give anyone, particularly young people, like teenagers and people in their early twenties. Like I know it's tempting to go spend all your money on whatever it is you fancy buying, but put some away because someday you're gonna need that little bit of money to be able to go do the thing you want to do. Yeah, just ten percent. Ten percent of anything you touch. Like even if it if it means it's like you're putting away two dollars, that means nothing to you. You know? <laughs> Yeah, Just put exactly. it away. 
Thank you for listening to The Enterprising Expat. You can help the show grow and reach more people by sharing this episode with your friends, supporting us on social media, or leaving a rating and review in whatever your favorite podcast catcher is. Oh my God, I love this. Okay, so tell me now about the transition because we are now in Paris. When did the coaching start? Like, when did you decide you're going to be a coach? Tell me about that transition. It's quite a mad situation that happened. I uh, So I had been working in community management and I had two different jobs I did in Paris. The first was community management and the second was a social media consultant. So I was working in communications in a, in a sense, I guess, and doing quite well in it. I had interesting clients. Like It was a, a good career path to be in and a very trendy one too. But I actually burned out quite badly um, and I had to take a bit of time off work because I was so mentally exhausted and I just, I knew things weren't really going right for me in the sense that I just was overwhelmed with my work. It was way too stressful. It was demanding in so many ways. And I felt like I didn't have a drop of creativity left in me because I had just, I was, I was constantly having to have so much output and, you know, deal with difficult situations in work that I was just, my head was 100% thinking about work all the time. So of course I burnt out. But before I had the burnout, I had decided that I'd like to change my job because I knew it wasn't right for me anymore. And I had signed up to do a diploma in life coaching. So I signed up for the diploma. I got the burnout. And then I, after that, I was like, I need to change my job. And even the doctor I went to go see, like when I told him what was after happening and how I was feeling, he said to me out straight, you need to leave your job. And I went to see another doctor a month later and she said the same thing to me. She was like, you have to leave your job because if you don't leave your job, like in six months, one year from now, you're going to get really, really, really ill. Because if you ignore burnout, it can get to a point where you start to get chronically ill in different ways. Like it manifests itself differently in different people. For me, it was um, just extreme stress. And I say just, it was extreme stress and I had panic attacks. But for other people, it can become a physical illness that you can't get rid of. So I listened to the doctors and I said, you know what? I'm going to take their advice. And this is obviously a sign that I just need to change my career. So I left my job, did my diploma. And when I first started coaching, I I decided I wanted to focus in on expat coaching, which I did. And it was going quite well. But then something changed, which was all of my clients were coming to me about body confidence issues. And I found that I was actually more interested and passionate about this subject. And I understood that expats have their own body confidence issues that arise from being expats and that I could help cater to this. So that's how I transitioned from expat coaching into body confidence coaching. And that's now what I focus on. So why it's different is when you go to a new country, you have these different pressures that happen or I guess different realizations about yourself when you go abroad. Um, I'll, I'll give some examples that are quite specific to ones that I've experienced and my clients have experienced in Paris. But when a lot of people come here, the first few things that happen is they often can get really bad acne because of the pollution. 
And a lot of people lose their hair. Like, I don't mean they go completely bald, but they, you know, a big chunks of their hair comes out because they're so stressed and the water is different when they're washing their hair. And then a lot of people can lose weight or gain weight. Or they notice that people on the streets look a certain way and they feel like they have to be the same shape or size or they have to dress the same way. And all of this builds up to all these pressures where they may have felt good about themselves before they moved abroad and now they suddenly just don't feel good about themselves anymore. And they need a little bit of help regards owning who they are abroad like they used to or ideally how they just would like to to live their lives and how they'd like to feel about themselves. That yes, yes, I can understand you moving to a place and you are already so different. You want to feel confident um, going out and meeting people and sort of, yeah, putting your best face forward for want of a better phrase. Um, So how does that, have you always been body confident or was that something you had to like build in yourself and how did you even start if you did? Uh, that was something I, I think it. I remember like times when I was younger and I really felt bad about myself. Well, OK, to go back to the beginning, um, when I was younger, I was always quite confident in myself in general. But there were certain things that really held me back. And one thing was I had um, it's kind of like an under or overbite, but it was to decide there's not really a proper name for it. So let's call it a side bite. I had a side bite and um, I was going to need to get my jaw realigned. And I knew, I knew, yeah, it was, it was not a pleasant operation, but I knew that I was going to have to get this done. And for a few years, particularly my teenage years, my face was quite crooked at times because, you know, when you're growing, you, your face can go a bit wonky and stuff. You see it in teenagers, you know, it's, it's normal. Um, so I would have days where my jaw would be very, very crooked and days when it wasn't. And in photographs, if a photograph is taken at a certain angle, it would really, really show. There was all these things I had, like, for example, if I tried to eat a sandwich because my front Mm. teeth didn't really bite very well, I'd often like bite off the bread, but leave the filling behind. And there was all these things that were just, they added to the embarrassment of just being a teenager in general, but like it had this whole other layer of embarrassment on top of it. And But when I was a teenager, I didn't feel like it really bothered me. I was just like, well, this is my face and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of got on with it. But then when I was 21, I or no, 20, I had an oper- the operation to realign my jaw. And after I had the operation done, I realized that I had actually had a lot of feelings wrapped up around this, this situation. And I had been kind of holding myself back and, you know, stopping myself from appearing certain ways in photographs and, you know, being careful about what I ate in front of people. And when that pressure was gone, I suddenly felt a lot of relief. And then I realized that the whole thing had just been in my head. It's like, it was just silly things that I had placed upon myself. So I decided I shouldn't do that with anything else in my life. But I definitely had issues with weight in the past where I always felt like I needed to be slimmer. And I often like I did a lot of diets in the past. And of course, diets don't work. If diets worked, there'd be no diet industry because everyone would go on a diet once and that would be it. They don't work. Yeah, right. (laughs) They do not work. And kind of, I guess, as I got older, I taught myself how to really accept the way I looked and to also love who I am and that that took a bit of effort it took a bit of thinking and a bit of work but 
now I really, really love my body and I've loved my body for quite a while. I I gave up dieting a long time ago and I gave up a lot of things that I used to hold me back in life. And now I am a really body confident person. And I use my coaching to help other people get to that point as well. And it can be a little bit hard in the beginning for people, particularly if you've never really shown love towards yourself, to to take that leap forward of actually treating yourself like, you know, a best friend and showing yourself some love and starting to see the good elements of you and really appreciate who you are. Yeah, yeah, I think... Sometimes if you've never even thought about it or sat alone and looked, really, really looked and thought about the negativity you have around yourself, it can be frightening to even think about treating yourself with with um, with kindness, you know? I mean, we, we all see the quotes on social media about love yourself and blah, blah, blah. But I think, and because I've been through it, there's a, you just sit there and you're like, well, how do I even start like it, it just it just feels silly to say this about myself or to, you know, think kind thoughts about myself. So uh, when people are coming, well, OK, let me start again. When people were coming to you as an expat coach, they, were they coming to you for issues like depression and isolation? How long did it take them to realize that there was um a lack of confidence in themselves? Um, well, a lot of them, when they come for expat coaching, it was because they were having, usually they had different issues um, regards being expat, whether it was, you know, making friends, finding the right job, um, finding a partner. It, it was varied in the different things they came to me about, or just, you know, finding their confidence living abroad in general. Um, but usually very quickly after talking with them, usually in only the first or second session, something would come up about confidence. And it's, I think if anyone starts talking about themselves in detail and they're very honest, they will very quickly get to the point of how they feel about themselves. And one thing I noticed was people, when they spoke about how they felt about themselves, it was wrapped up in their appearance in some way. It could be like, you know, I don't feel like I can be as confident in work because I I don't look the right way. And I started to see this connection of, okay, I feel like I can't do well at work because I'm not slim enough. And I feel embarrassed when I have to get up in front of my clients Is and the give a presentation. Is to see that we need to change society's double standards? Men go to work, they get dressed in the same thing, they wear the same thing every day. Nobody, nobody cares what they're wearing. But a woman, she's got an outfit for work. She's got an outfit for afterwards. And there's just this emphasis on what I feel doesn't matter. I don't care what you're wearing as long as you can get the job done. But there just seems to be a double standard. Is that, okay, do you agree with that statement or do you see it differently? Or do you find that it's different for a lot of people? I would definitely agree with that. I do think there is a very unfair view that men are able to, you know, the typical shit shower shave and go to work and they're fine. Whereas women, it's like you have to get up in the morning and you have to like shower, shave your legs and put on a full face of makeup, have your hair done, wear something that's beautiful look really well put together, spritz your perfume. Like there's all these things you're supposed to do before you go to work. 
And it is a double standard. But one thing that can help is when you start letting go of the like these things that you're holding on to. So for some women and not all women, um, and this also applies to men, but it's, it is mostly for women. We feel like we have to do those things. We're the ones who put the pressure on ourselves and it's not our fault that we feel the pressure. It's like the diet industry and the beauty industry create this fantasy land that they try to sell to us where they basically say, if you use our products or you, you, you know, buy our services, if you use these things, you will suddenly start to look a different way. And when you look that way, your life will be complete and you will be 10 times happier and people will be like, oh, wow, look at you. But that's not the truth. It's not the truth. So if we're told that this is something to believe in and it's not our fault when we feel like this is the reality of the situation. So it can be a little bit hard to undo that little bit of brainwashing, let's say, and convince ourselves that these things do not matter and it takes a little bit of time to do that for some people other people they start thinking about it and it clicks instantly and they're like I don't have to do this anymore I don't have to spend 30 minutes on my makeup how about instead of doing that I spend about five minutes where I put on you know a little bit of eyeshadow and mascara and I go out the door and I'm done I look just as good and I can save that time and maybe do you know a bit of yoga in the morning instead it's finding this bit of balance and it is hard it is hard in the beginning to say oh actually I don't have to do these things I feel like I have to do so without divulging the secrets of the filing cabinet um (laughs) you know I come to you and I have a body confidence I'm going to use mine because I'm always trying to lose that last 15 pounds so how do you what's the process what what is it like to work with you Okay, well, it depends on everyone on what is the thing that they they want to focus in on. Um, I would say that there's one thing that I'd say is quite standard across the board, which is the first thing we would look at is why losing that 15 pounds is so important to you. How will your life be different if you lose it? Um, And really like find what are the feelings around that? Like what is the thing that makes you feel like I have to lose these 15 pounds? And whether or not that is something you have to do or if you can perhaps let go of it. So we'd look at it at this viewpoint first. Then we would look at finding ways to help you be kinder. So like, I don't know if you're doing this. I'm just going to use it as an example. But let's say every time you looked in the mirror, you're thinking, I need to lose weight. I need to lose weight. Oh, if like, look at my belly, look at this. We'd change the narrative and start finding positive things to say to yourself instead. So Let's say, for example, you're looking at your belly and going, oh, my belly's so big today. Instead, saying things like, oh, my belly looks really soft today or Mm -hmm. I look really huggable today. Like starting to speak to yourself in a kind way and a way that's realistic and fair. We're not going to say the belly doesn't exist if it's there, but we're going to acknowledge it and be kind to it. So that would be the first set of things on practicing kindness towards ourselves and changing how we speak to ourselves. The second bit would be looking at how we um, communicate with others because often when how we communicate with others has a huge impact on ourselves so doing things such as speaking positively about other people's bodies um, often I find with clients if they're feeling bad about something they can speak badly about other 
like the same thing in other people. So being quite critical about other people's bodies or, you know, being in conversations with people where you critique people's bodies, changing the things you consume, such as what you consume on social media. If you're following a lot of weight loss accounts, that could be making you feel really bad about your body. And I would suggest following those things and following things that make you feel really good, like body positive accounts, body confidence accounts that make you see that actually your body is beautiful and it's totally normal and acceptable. And then it would really depend afterwards on what is important to you and what you want to focus on. But those are the main things. It's like being kind to yourself and how to, dealing with yourself internally and then dealing with the world I'm externally. already sitting here smiling. I mean, that just already feels so good to hear. So I can imagine how affirming it must be to get into the details. Oh, oh wow. Okay, so just tell people how they can get in contact with you and how they can find your social media and your links and things. Okay, so my website is my name. It's Kleena, C-L-I-O-N-A, Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E dot com. So com, And I'm quite active on Instagram. My handle is Kleena the coach. I'm pretty easy to find. There's not that many cleaners online. <laughs> so you'll find me. Um, and I coach uh, online through video calls. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Um, we can organize coaching. That's totally cool. And a lot of people, even in Paris, prefer to do it online because it's just handier for their schedule. And then I also coach in person if you are in Paris. So we can organize that if you'd like either. And I also do workshops throughout the year. And I'm going to be doing a few different things over that throughout the year, which I'll be posting online. Um, but yeah, so my website and Instagram oh, are the perfect. main ways to find me. That's perfect. Okay, so now tell me about setting up a business online. Because when I did it, I was, I was, hmm, I didn't, I felt like I was playing. No, that's not the right. It just didn't feel like a real business until I got my first client. So when you were setting up this business online, were you always, did it 100% feel like a business to you? Or was there a point, a tipping point where you felt, now I have arrived, now it, it makes perfect sense, all the work I've put into it? Oh, that's a good question. I think like when you start a business, there's a few different things you go through. I think there's the immediate like boost of, yes, I'm doing this and I'm going to conquer this and it's going to be amazing and I'm so excited. And then comes in the like after you've got everything set up, there's a little bit of self-doubt while you're waiting for clients to come in where you're like, oh, my God, have I done this wrong? Have I, have I made a terrible mistake? Am I selling something people don't want? So I'd say I definitely went through those things. <laughs> um, but then clients started to come in and you know, it can, for coaching, you know, there's certain times a year when you have loads of clients and then certain times a year when you don't have a lot of clients. Like, for example, a lot of people like to get coaching in January because yes. it's like new year, new me, new decade, new me. Um, and then in the summertime, it can be more quiet because people are off on holidays and stuff. So I just kind of felt like once I had, I think when I had two clients, <laughs> which isn't that much more than one, but when I had two clients, I definitely felt like I had made it and I was like, on the road to Absolutely. becoming successful. Client, I'm like, okay, this is awesome. And I almost like broke my back doing everything, even things that I didn't need to do, just because I was like, I'm going to keep this person because this makes me feel like it's a real business. Then the second one came along and I'm like, oh, people, 
people actually have confidence in him what i what i'm saying you know it's it's just kind of affirming and it's like building that confidence muscle as as a business owner so when you told friends and family about coaching and what you were doing what were the initial reactions were they surprised supportive oh i you know it was, it was interesting i had a few beca- two different ones um a lot of people were really excited for me and were like, oh my God, like you're going to rock this and you're Amazing. the perfect person to do this. And it's so you and, you know, you're in flow and everything's magical and oh, you're a goddess. Like, you know, this kind of stuff from, because I've got really supportive friends. Um, and then I had a few people that were a little bit like, oh, and when I kind of questioned the, oh, they were like, oh, it's just, you know, like they had bad views on what coaching was about and they thought that life coaches were like bad things. And then when I kind of had the conversation with them about it and I was like, why do you think a coach is a bad thing? And then they're like, well, my cousin's friend's friend's cousin had a bad experience or something. And I was like, okay, that's quite vague, but fine. And when I actually explained what I was doing to, to the person, they were like, Oh my God. Okay. No, actually that's really cool. So some people have this bad view of what a coach is. Um, and until I actually explain it to them, they're like, okay, I get this. And you're actually doing something that's kind and good. And you're not doing something that's that's bad. Um, but nearly everyone was like over the moon for me. And I, ha- I come from a family of a lot of successful mm-hmm. female entrepreneurs. So it was about time I probably got my arson gear and set up a business. That's very cool. <laughs> So there was a lot of sport. Absolutely perfect. Okay, so one habit you have picked up in each of the countries you've you've lived in, like I don't know, hmm, what what will I say? What's one habit? Well, yeah, just one habit you've picked up that is normal in Milan, but just is not a thing in Ireland. But you're like, yes, this works. Why doesn't everybody do that? So one habit from all of the countries you've lived in. Um, from Milan, uh, yes. carb loading, <laughs> eating all the carbs. <laughs> um, God, you know, it's hard to say for the Milan one because I, there were certain things I really did not connect with because Milan is a very fashion focused country, er, country, and um, there's a lot of things I didn't really get. But I would say one thing would definitely be the slowing down you know, just slowing down a little bit and just appreciating everyday things, like whether it's like really good food or really good company, slowing down, taking a bit easy and just enjoying things. That's definitely the habit I I say I picked up from there. France, oh, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's just so much I've picked up from France. I mean, definitely like going to the bakery, eating fresh bread, um, Again, enjoying food. I mean, that's never been an issue for me. But um, like, I've definitely picked up picked up a lot of um, culinary things from the countries I've lived in too. But I'd say from France, it's it's more about appreciating. Yeah, Milan would be slowing down, and France would be also like appreciating things and perfect. Yeah, I think those. No, are that's good. No, that's good because it's different <laughs> cultures as well. Um, Okay, and is there one from the U.S.? I know it was only a short stint. Oh, my one from the U.S. is is a funny one. I would say it's uh, wearing really, really comfortable clothes. 
Because, <laughs> like, I noticed when I was in the US, like, a lot yeah. of people wear leggings and hoodies. And I was like, I like this. Why not? And um, I'd say it taught me, you know, like, you can chill out a bit about what you're wearing. You just wear something that's comfortable because, like, who cares? And that's Leggings definitely something I've adopted. <laughs> in my house, I wear yoga pants and a T-shirt. If I'm going out, I'm going to break out those leggings. Um <laughs> Me too. Me too. Like they are my life, and they're kind of like a little bit socially unacceptable in Paris. Like they're really supposed to just be for exercising, and a lot of women will change out of them after the exercise class. And I'm like, girl, I live in these. <laughs> I'm wearing these to the supermarket. I'm wearing them to the cinema. I'm wearing and that's, them everywhere. That's what it is. It's like body confidence, right? You're like living what what you teach. Yeah. <laughs> like I had a really funny thing happen to me with. This involves leggings and um, this story. But um, I went to this exercise class and I was wearing like a like exercise leggings, but they're ones that just went to my knee. And um, I was working out and the teacher was looking at my what I thought was my feet. And I was after like giving myself this like really nice pedicure. And I was like, she is admiring my pedicure. It is on point. It is looking amazing. But I got home and um, I went to have a shower and I looked down at my legs and I realized that I had not shaved my legs and I hadn't shaved my legs in a long time. I've basically got my winter coat on right now. I thought it was quite funny because years ago I would never have gone to an exercise class with my legs really hairy. And this time I went to one, didn't even notice they were hairy. And even when someone was staring at my legs, I thought it was because they were admiring my pedicure. So it just shows how much when you become body confident, you see things in a different way. And when someone looks at you, you don't even think they're looking at you in a negative way. You think they're looking at you to admire something or, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, I think, yeah, we're at the top of it. OK, I'm going to squeeze one more question. What's the one thing that you always take from Ireland, wherever you are? Like the one thing that you can only get in Ireland or that you love from Ireland that you 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 take with you? Oh, OK. Um tea and um um so i you know how like in a a fry up you've got black pudding yeah but in ireland we have white pudding it's not as common in the rest of the uk that i always have to bring that back with me and people are always like seriously that's your thing but i just love it you know i i don't have to explain myself i love it so it's that white pudding (laughs) and tea white and black pudding but you can't eat their funky sausage girl you got issues (laughs) You cannot eat that sausage. Like, you can see my standards. Like, I mean, I will tolerate all different types. Thank you for listening to The Enterprising Expat. You can help the show grow and reach more people by sharing this episode with your friends, supporting us on social media, or leaving a rating and review in whatever your favorite podcast catcher is. Cheers, and I'll see you in two weeks.